About 14 years ago in the summertime, I was asked to speak at a family camp in Sweden, and the missionary from America that was over there and his wife, they'd been there for years, they took Mary and me after that three-day camp for a week traveling through Europe, and we'd never been there. And we got to go to Austria, and one of the things that we did in Austria was we took a tram up a high mountain peak in those Alps, and then from the tram station at the top of the mountain, you walk maybe a tenth of a mile, maybe a little more, to a ridge, and you could walk along the ridge for like a half of a mile. It was beautiful. It was amazing. They said these are the, these are the mountains that uh, the real Von Trapp family that's featured in The Sound of the Music traveled through and walked through to get out of Austria during uh, World War II. Uh, what I remember about that trip that I think is important to share today was the ridge was very narrow. If you've hiked in the mountains and you've made it up to a ridge, a narrow ridge, you know the feeling and the thoughts about what I'm about to share. You get along that ridge, and it was fascinating that you could stand on that ridge and see way thousands of feet down to your left, perilous it would be if you fell off that way, and you could look to the right in a whole different direction, and it'd be thousands of feet down to your right. But it's, it's a whole different scene. I mean, you're really at one of those vistas or apexes on planet Earth that's just amazing. You could fall off either way, and you had to stay careful on that narrow ridge. To me, that's a picture of true Christianity. It's a narrow middle ridge. On the left side, I would say, is something, that, an opinion about faith and spirituality and religion that is very common and very perilous. And it's the idea that outer involvement and conformity or the externals mean that constitutes true spirituality it kind of comes out sometimes when moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas say to their kids or grandkids go to church did you go to church this sunday and the conversation doesn't get any deeper than that in jesus day it was a way that many religious people were going to hell The, uh, the, the, the group among Jews that we think about the most were men who had a title. They were in a, a school of thought. They did study formally. They were called Pharisees. And they show up in the gospel lesson that we're going to look at today. So get that yellow sheet out. It's, it's selected passages from Mark chapter 7. And you're going to see Jesus deal with this because Jesus loves us all. And he wants these religious guys to be safe and saved. And he wants you to be saved too. He doesn't want you to depend on your religious externalism as true spirituality. And so it's a different day in Jesus' day and a different culture than ours. But the root, simple truth about their lack of true spirituality is the same as ours in our culture when we face it. So let's watch Jesus, Messiah, God himself, deal with these guys for their benefit, and let's learn from it, okay? I'll read out loud. You can follow along quietly the first uh, six verses. The Pharisees and some teachers of the Jewish laws who had come from Jerusalem up to Galilee, they gathered around Jesus. He was famous now, and they were watching him. 
And they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now remember, different culture means something very different than when mom says, go wash your hands. We're going to talk about that. Now, Mark gives us an editorial aside. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. Wait a minute, this isn't about... Louis Pasteur's discovery of germs and washing your hands. This is about religiosity. This is about spirituality, isn't it? This is way before we knew what germs were. Mark is still giving an editorial comment. When those Pharisees come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah in the Old Testament was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. That means somebody hiding behind a face. This is what he wrote. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and you're holding to human traditions. Where, where did these Pharisees get this idea that you needed to wash? Like I said, it wasn't about germs. They got it from the rabbinical schools of thought during the intertestamental period between the times of the prophets of the Old Testament and the time of Jesus, 400-year gap. These rabbis taught that you... Because Moses had said in their Bible, you're not to touch a dead person or emissions from the body or you're ceremonially unclean for seven days. Priests need to wash themselves before they do their work in the temple. Worshippers in the temple need to wash themselves before they come. These rabbis said, you don't know when you're in the marketplace if you didn't maybe touch a woman who's in her monthly cycle and then you would be unclean. She's not going to tell you. You can't see it always. And so you could be unclean. So you need to wash every time before you would actually eat food because you could bring the ceremonially unclean hand to the food and the food in your body and then you'd be unclean. And their minds just spun all of these kinds of rules to help themselves try to stay clean. But what happens is the rules then become the measure of whether or not you are a careful person of faith, whether or not you're a believer or not. And so they said, how come your disciples don't show that they're careful about our spiritual matters, which they assumed were good? And Jesus said what? He said, you've created all these rules for externals, but you've left hearts far from me. Your hearts are far from me. There's actually a gap between this verse and the next ones where in this very passage, Jesus says, There is a command of God that you take care of your parents as you get older, and they get older. And you will will tell people, the Pharisees were doing this, you will tell people, you don't have to take care of your parents and and pay for their rent or their food or, or whatever if you've already dedicated that money to the temple as part of your worship. And Jesus said, you set aside the fourth commandment, honor your parents for your religious rule about giving money at the temple. And he goes, and you do all kinds of things like that, is what he said. You're not worried, you're worried about the externals. Well, 
I'm, I, you know, it's just, a, it's just a fact. We are not near in the Protestant faith as outwardly religious as the ancient Jews. Even modern Jews are much more regimented than we are. So what does this word of God have to say to us? I mean, you're not washing your hands for ceremonial reasons and demanding other people do that or else you think they're not a Christian, right? What is this, how does this apply to us? It applies to us in this simple way. The devil uses a new, milder form to be just as deadly of externalism with you and me. It goes like this in several other ways. One is, I made it to church. I sat with the saints. I can live like a devil the rest of the days between Sundays. Right? Because I'm a, I'm a church person, right? Uh, we teach children to pray before they eat because it's a good habit to get into to be thankful for what God gave you and to tell them thanks. But little children will sometimes say, and we first of all are happy, but then we have to evaluate it. We didn't pray before we ate. Mom, that guy didn't pray before he ate. Now what mom says will either teach externals or internals, right? External would be, yeah, he just doesn't know that God really wants him to do that. That's an external. You show me a Bible passage that says you have to pray before you eat. That's a ceremonial law. Not in the Bible. It's a good thing. Now you can go home and say, Pastor said we don't have to pray before we eat. No, that would be making it a ceremonial unlaw. No, I didn't say that. I want to pray before I eat to say thanks to God, but I'm not going to tell somebody they're sinning if they don't, because they're not. You see what I'm saying? We get focused on externals. We get focused on being a part of a church. We have a certain pride in being the, a, a part of a church that teaches God's Word faithfully, or we might say, right. We, we even learn to sh- make it shorthand. We say, is that, is that Pastor Wells, Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod? And only a few people in, in, that we're ever around outside of these walls know what that means, right? It's a religious external. Or somebody else says, this is the most popular out there. I am non-denominational. Really? So there's no name on the front of your church? No, no, no. I go to culture church. Well, then that's your name. That's, your, that's what denomination means. It may be an independent congregation. But you're not focusing on the deep part, right? So what's the deep part? Does, does your church teach God's Word? Does it teach Jesus Christ as the Savior? Is it leading you back to God every time you're there? That's the internal part, right? Not the external part. Every Christian, whether it's in their local church or their denomination or their big church, every Christian has to be careful not to be thinking they're okay with God because they have some external connection. One time I was contending for a true trust in Jesus as a Savior with someone who'd grown up in the ancient church called the Roman Catholic Church. And he said, what you're telling me is that what the Bible is saying is not exactly what I have learned. And he goes, you have to understand something. My dad was Catholic, my grandpa was Catholic, and as far back as I can go, they're Catholic. It is a long, great tradition that we are Catholic. Now, I'm not going to say at this moment that what I'm trying to say is that I was trying to convince him not to be Catholic at that moment. I wasn't. 
But his go-to was, I have a family tradition. We are just this way. This is what we do. You're not going to convince me otherwise. Okay, I get that, but that's externalism. It's a matter of what you, right here, right now, know and believe about Jesus Christ. And Jesus is standing there in the middle of Judaism, the old-time religion, and they don't recognize him as their Savior. And so he confronts it, and he says, you, you put aside the commands of God on the inside so you can do these externals on the outside. Now, you're maybe sitting there thinking, I've got four or five better examples than yours, Pastor. Well, that's great. Give them to yourself and your family, because that's what we want to hear. So we're not external. God wants us to repent. That's what Jesus wanted them to repent. That's why he said, your hearts are far from God. If we are depending on externals to define our relationship with God. We think you're okay because you're here. And you're not okay if you're not. Externals. But there's another ridge you can fall, another way you can fall off the ridge to the other side. Uh, Tom T. Hall wrote a song many years ago. I know you young people don't even know who that is, and you don't care. <laughs> but uh, he wrote a song, Me and Jesus Got Our Own Thing Going. Right? George Jones made it pretty popular, and then Chris Christopherson sang it in the 80s. You might remember that. And recently, it was on The Voice, like in 2016, a, a band. You did it on that, that TV show, The Voice. Me and Jesus Got Our Own Thing Going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. You guys, some of you could say the the lyrics, right? Me and Jesus don't need nobody to tell us what it's all about. Because we got our own thing going. It goes like this when you're having conversations with people. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Now, before you judge that statement, realize you don't know what they mean, right? So ask them. What do you mean? Right? You'll get a wide variety of answers, but most of the answers fall in this category. What I mean is, I pray, I have faith, I believe there's a God, I just believe that I don't believe in organized religion, and I believe in spirituality, and I have, and then they may share with you it may be more of a, a age of Aquarius, new age kind of stuff, or it might be a very basic, I pray and I have personal beliefs and faith and I think all faith's personal and I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Okay? There's a problem with that. Maybe, maybe the person has a real spiritual life with Jesus, but in the conversation they have forgotten that's the main thing. But usually they don't. Usually This is what they mean. I get to live a a life of belief in my head, but I don't have to have any confrontation with anybody about my life conforming with their idea of what the will of God is. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. I'm spiritual. I have met more people that have told me they're spiritual that are living with people sexually outside of marriage, uh, practicing drug and alcohol abuse, having poor business practices, and being bitter about lots of family things, and they say they're spiritual. Yeah, you're spiritually dark. See, Jesus said you put aside the commands of God. You can put them aside for your own religiosity and your externalism, but you can also put aside the commands of God for your own kind of mild spirituality that never has to take a deep, dark look inside of your heart because the root 
problem in all of us is that we are self-motivated, self-centered, self-guided, and we are selfish. And that includes our relationship with God. We don't want God telling us how to live our lives or anybody else's idea. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. The only problem is that Jesus ain't talking to me because I don't let him. Because if they knew what Jesus was saying in his word, they wouldn't quite talk that way. Let me say it another way. Jesus ain't got nothing going on with you that he doesn't want to go on with everybody. (laughs) There is no individual relationship that's unique with Jesus that is not the relationship he wants to have with everybody. And the only way you can know for sure the relationship Jesus wants to have with anybody is by hearing his word in the four Gospels and then expanding throughout the rest of the Bible. That's where you find Jesus. And you let him speak to you through the word. You just sang that right before, right? We have hymns all over our hymnal about thy strong word. We sang it earlier. And speak, O Lord, and your word is is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path from Psalm 119. So let Jesus have that thing going on with you that he wants to go on with everybody. Well, what is that? Well, he's going to tell you what it is by telling us what it's not. All right? So let's read on. He loves these guys and he loves you and me. Verse, verse, look at verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me. He was very passionate. Everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. This stuff about washing is crazy. Rather, it's what comes out of the person that defiles them. For it is from within and out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality. Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. What is he trying to do? You have to ask yourself, what was that list about? He's trying to make us see that we have defiled ourselves. You might say, well, I'm, I, I, haven't been, I haven't been sleeping with somebody. I shouldn't. There's adultery right there. He says, uh, you've wanted to in your heart. Well, I'm proud to say I'm not arrogant. We don't need to say anything about that statement. All of this is in our hearts. Pick your sin. Sin is sin. Jesus' brother said if you sin against, if you don't break any commandments but you just break one, you're guilty of breaking all of it. There there are no good sinners, bad sinners. They're They're just sinners. And you know who they are? All of us. At the very beginning of our worship, there's this ancient confession that we use today. It says, I am, and you can go back and look at it. It says, I am altogether sinful from birth. I remember our little church in Marble Falls, Texas, going out there with the vicars and having church out there. And one of our couples, we only had six couples. You know, somebody decides they're not going to come. It hurts like crazy because it's like a a third of your church leaves, right? We're going to go to a different church. Why? I said, we went to their house. Why are you going to go to a different church? Because you always tell us that we're sinners. (laughs) 
Do I say any more? Yeah, yeah, you tell us about Jesus after that, but you're always telling you, I don't want to hear that I'm a sinner all the time. Maybe, maybe she had something there, but I don't think she had the something that Jesus wanted her to have completely. I am altogether sinful from birth. Wait a minute. What's this emphasis on this? Well, David, Psalm 51. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, then had her husband Uriah killed. In Psalm 51, this is what he says. After he, He's processing. I can't, you know, we'll say, I can't believe I did that. I'm so ashamed of myself. He's processing. He says, surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. True spirituality is realizing that your problem is not something you've done. It's something that you are sinful from the time your mother conceived you. You, Each one of us in this room, honest Christians, knows we have a secret battle of doing it again and again and again, that thing that we try not to do, right? Because you're stuck. You're sinful from the time you were conceived. Paul said it this way. The guy that wrote half the New Testament, Romans 7, I even try hard, he says. I try hard not to do certain things. And the good that I try to do, I don't do. And the evil I try not to do, that's what I do. And this is how he ends that little paragraph. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? John, cousin of Jesus, wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the book of Revelation and the gospel of John. John said this in 1st John. If anyone says... Present tense, they are without sin. What's the next phrase? Somebody say it. They deceive themselves, and the truth is not in them. So when someone says, I'm spiritual, and then you ask them what they mean, and it isn't about, well, I've been redeemed and washed clean by Christ because I'm a sinner, and then you know the truth is not in them, not yet. You need to help them. That's why you're there, to witness to them. Don't talk about church. Talk about their need for Christ and what Christ has done. You understand what I'm saying? He says, out of what comes out of a people defiles them. And what he wants them to do is step back and look at him and go, well, then we're all defiled. Yes, and that's why I'm here. I'm your Savior. I came to redeem the world. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, John wrote it. He sees all these visions of their comforting Some of them are fantastically about the evil on earth. But some are these visions of heaven with the idea that people in heaven, when we get there, we've escaped troubled earth. And they call, in in chapter 7 of Revelation, it calls living on earth the great, what? The great tribulation. Living here is a great tribulation. We can press the tribulation aside for a while, but finally it's just great tribulation. And he sees this vision of all these people, people in heaven, wearing white robes. And an elder in the vision says, do you know who the people in white robes are? And it's the only people that are in heaven. There's no other people. All the people in heaven have white robes in the vision. John says, you tell me who they are. I don't know. He said, listen very carefully what I'm about to tell you. He said, these are those who've, who've escaped the great tribulation living on earth, and they're here in heaven because they've washed their robes, their lives, and made them white. Now remember, robe, white, they've washed them and made them white in the what? In the blood of the Lamb. Have you ever gotten blood on a shirt that you really liked? 
you weren't your past childhood, so you're not freaked out about the cut you've got. You're going, I don't want to, can you get blood out of a shirt? How do you do that, right? Blood is bad about staining, right? They've washed their robes and made them white. What an antithesis in the blood of the Lamb. And we know what the vision means, the Lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is standing there looking at these men with filthy hearts because everybody does have, by nature, a filthy heart. And he's saying, you're defiled because you're sinners and washing your hands will never help you. Nor claiming you're spiritual and pray a lot will ever help you. You've got bigger issues. You are a condemned person because you're sinful. I'm here to rescue you. I'm going to go to the cross and shed my blood. And by putting your hope in my sacrifice... You will be clean in your conscience, in your heart, and in your life by grace and not by anything you could do in your outer religion or your little private, me and Jesus got our own thing going. I will do it for you. And it's a gift. And I want you to fall in faith and in love and walk with me. We spend way too much time in spirituality trying to clean ourselves, even us Christians, after we've come to know this. And I want to give you an illustration from our family life. This goes way back. It's a 22 years old story. (laughs) Caleb was three. Mary was on the phone at home. I was away at work. The other kids are at school. So it's just her and the three-year-old. And he's been playing quietly in the other room, and so she's on the phone in the kitchen. Well, Mary was doing calligraphy with an ink bottle and a pen you dip in the ink, right? So he takes the lid off the bottle as a three-year-old, curious, right? Pours it out on the carpet. Sees the big stain, he thinks, oh, I better clean that up. I'm going to be in trouble. So the first thought is, I'll wipe my hands in it. Then he looked at his hands, freaked out. Ah, wiped him on his, his shirt, right? He looked at his shirt, now he's got big ink splains on his carpet, on his shirt, on his hand, on his face. Oh my, excuse me. Oh my. He sneaks into the kitchen and grabs the towel off the oven while she's on the phone. Goes in and gets the towel, rubs it on there, rubs it. Now the towel's all black. This is not working. But this time he's overwhelmed with guilt and shame and I'm being caught. There is no way out of this one. The evidence is all over the place. So she's on the phone. And he comes walking in. Ah, tears rolling down. And he's this horrifying looking mess, right? And, and, she, and, and he looks at her and she turns and goes, oh, I got to go. And then she hugs him and says, what did you do? And then she says, I'm going to clean it up. We had to pull the carpet up, you know, and everything, replace it and clean him up. And, but he could not clean that ink off, could he? And he tried a lot of things. And you see where I'm going with that? Sin is so defiling, you can't clean it off of you. I'm sorry. You, you, everything you try, you try to blame people. You try to blame your circumstances, you're just smearing it around more. You try to deny that it's even there, that ain't going to work either. There's only one thing you can do. You've got to run into the kitchen and find Jesus 
And then the thing you'll have going with Jesus is the same thing he has going with everybody. It's not unique to you. He washes you clean with the blood of the lamb, his, his body, right? And he says, I'll tell you what I'll do with it. You've acknowledged it. I'll clean you and I'll forgive you. It's all taken care of. I took care of it at the cross. And you come to faith in your Savior again. And you live in that grace. You Remember that ridge I told you about? A really neat thing for a Christian like us, Christians like us, is that if you walk down through that ridge and we walked as far as they, you know, we thought we could and get back to the tram before it went back down, Somebody had erected about a 10-foot cross. It wasn't fancy or anything else. There were a couple of logs there that you could sit on by that cross. But you could kind of see down either side, right? And it was a beautiful little spot for prayer. And I thought, what a wonderful thing. You can sit in the shadow of that cross and live in faith in the safety of the ridge where that cross is and not go into death either side. You see the picture for you? Live in the shadow of the cross. Let the Christ be the Christ. Let Jesus have His own thing going with you that He wants going for everybody. True spirituality is inner cleanness based on the grace of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It's cleansing. And it's power. And it's safety. Live in the shadow of the cross. Amen.